Good morning. good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Man, that was one of the best good mornings I've ever heard. It is just a delight to be with you. Uh, I smile every time I look out because y'all are just so friendly and so uh, welcoming and loving, and it just makes my day. So we are honored to be with you. Uh, we had a great time Wednesday night Bible study, and we had a great time this morning in Bible class. In our Bible class, we focused on the women that helped the ministry of Jesus, the followers, supporters, disciples, and their vital role in helping spread the gospel message. And in our lesson this morning, we're going to focus on how Jesus prayed for his disciples, who are ultimately his friends. And so we've titled this lesson, I Have Found a Friend in Jesus. Did you ever have that friend that was ride or die? You could do anything with them. You go out and you have so much fun and you do all kinds of uh, dumb stuff and, and you'd have stories for years to talk about. They're just the greatest. You can sit and you can laugh and talk for hours about absolutely nothing at all. You know, friends, they're an essential part of life. They make it fun. They, they, they bring some, some joy into sometimes what can be downright depressing. They help you through troublesome times. They help you get through all of the moments in life that are hard. That special someone passes away. Someone you love gets cancer. And that friend's there for you. That helps. That helps you make it through the day. Because that friend cares for you. This morning, we all have a friend. He's a friend unlike really can be described. His name is Jesus. He's an amazing friend. He cares for us. He loves us unconditionally. He picks us up when we're broken. He gets us off the ground. And he gets us moving again. He encourages us. He never leaves us. He's always there, always cares. He's an amazing friend. Oswald Chambers said this, The dearest friend on earth is a mere shadow compared with Jesus Christ. Having a friend on this earth, in my judgment, just gives you a taste compared to the heavenly friend we have. In Christ Jesus. To give a bit of our backdrop for this morning's lesson, I want to set the stage. Jesus has been preparing his disciples throughout the course of his ministry over the span of three years. And he has been forming a tight and close bond. He has become friends with the disciples that he handpicked few years ago. And he is now preparing them for the world that they're going to face without him. And as he goes through his discourse, we're going to look this morning focusing on John chapter 17. But his discourse spans from John chapter 13 verses 31 through John chapter 16 and verse 33. 
And it's his final discourse to his disciples before he leaves. And in John chapter 16 and verses 32 through 33, and if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. This will set the backdrop for our lesson this morning. That's John chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 32. John chapter 16, starting in verse 32. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. We can almost picture the disciples. They're all gathered around in a huddle. And as he's talking to them and he's encouraging them and and lifting them up and he's giving them this final discourse and he's preparing them when they would be left alone in his death. Despite what they would do, despite knowing and telling them, I can almost picture him whispering, you're going to leave me, but it's okay. That's the kind of peace he's giving them. It's like, I know you're going to mess up, but guess what? It's going to be okay. He's preparing them. He prepared them for what was to come. So he wanted them to remember the words that he was leaving them with. After their betrayal and after feeling shame, they would be reminded that Jesus was still committed to them and they would have peace. They would be able to rebuild the relationship that had been broken by fear. And they would need To restore this relationship and have peace. Why? Because there's coming persecution. There's coming tribulation. He's preparing them. Back to the huddle. You're going to suffer. But I'm with you. It's going to be okay. In the midst of their persecution. In the midst of everything they were about to encounter with their renewed relationship, they would know peace. This was Jesus giving them the ability to face the world. Ending his discourse, Jesus has fully prepared, emotionally prepared the disciples. For the events that will transpire in the coming days. He knows it's coming. It's off in the distance. In the horizon. It's coming. Death is knocking at the door. And he's preparing his friends. For what is to come. In verse 33. We find the disciples. In this huddle as we've pictured. Receiving the last bit of hope and peace. From their great teacher and friend. Before his death and subsequent departure. Entering into chapter 17, John sets the stage for one of the longest recorded prayers by Jesus. He says, Jesus spoke these things and lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, we could perhaps picture him breaking away from the huddle. And he begins to 
walk and to talk with God. And as he's walking and as he's talking, he looks up into the heavens. And he begins to pray to God. We want to look at this portion of the prayer by Jesus. And we're going to notice what a friend we have in Jesus. Based on the way he was a friend to his disciples. If you're taking notes this morning. In verses 1 through 5, we're going to look at his personal request for glory. His personal request for glory. And this sets the stage. This is not the emphasis of the lesson, but it sets the stage for what we are going to emphasize. Let's read verses 1 through 5 and notice what it says. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life that you may know that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself and the glory which I had with you before the world was. The hour has come. Jesus begins his prayer with one of the seven references to the hour of his death. The first three references that we find say his hour had not yet come. The remaining four, including this verse, indicate The hour had come. Knowing that his life on earth was ending. And that he would soon draw his last breath. Jesus is making a personal request. The hour of glory. His personal request. Glorify your son. Was not made out of selfishness but selflessness. He knew that through his death. And through everything that he would go through, including the death and the resurrection, that there would be subsequent exaltation. That through that act, he would glorify the Father. And in return, Jesus would be glorified for his death. Here's the results of that glorification. The authority given to the Son and the reason it is exercised is centering on eternal life. And subsequently shows us the purpose of the prayer. Eternal life is the result of the glorification of Christ in the lives of his people. Looking at eternal life, the power of Christ, the point of Christ, and his request for glorification is this. Jesus is defining this idea of eternal life as knowing God. But knowing God is not simply knowledge or information about God. It is a personal relationship with Him based on the New Testament in which His children should know Him personally. Jesus ushered in a way for us to have a relationship with God that you could not have obtained in the Old Testament. He ushered in a new way, a new way to have a relationship with the Father. And in verse 3, Jesus shows that there is an inseparable link 
between knowing God and eternal life. And how does one know God? Through the Son. Our relationship and knowledge of the Son, who was sent by God. Jesus came because of God so that we could know God and have access to eternal life. And Jesus glorified the Father by doing what he was sent to do. Because Christ completed his work, the Father was glorified. Revealing God's gracious and loving character to the world is the actions that led to the Father's glorification. And the purpose of his work and ministry was, as God in the flesh, to reveal to the world the Father and his plan. Alluding to the end of his work and the revealing of the Father, Jesus asked to return back to the glory that he once had. His final act of revelation would come through his death and resurrection. And through this process, Christ would be glorified as he was in the beginning. Verses 1 through 5, personal request for glory, emphasizes the cycle, the relationship, the point of Christ's ministry, eternal life, and the glory of the Father. The Father desiring no one to perish, but for all to come to have everlasting life. Through the Son being sent, He left the glory in the home in heaven, being sent by the Father to the earth to carry out His will, to show people the relationship they could have with the Father. Then through His death, He would be glorified, God would be glorified, and through eternal life, have a relationship with the Father, and thus bringing full glory, and the Father being well pleased with His Son, because He can have the relationship that He longs to have with His children. This is verses 1 through 5, and that is where Jesus starts His prayer. Not about Himself but truly about those he came to serve, ushering in eternal life and a relationship with God. Point number two, I have found a friend in Jesus because he provides. He provides the plan and a close relationship to his Father. We don't see it quite yet, but verses 1 through 5 is going to tie back in as we go through this text. And it shows just how great a friend we have in Jesus. But as we move through the text, verses 6 through 8 show us that he provides. What a friend we have because he provides. In verses 1 through 5, we can see that he's been requesting what will be best ultimately for the Father. And thus what is good for all of creation. Jesus' desire for the Father to be glorified in his death and resurrection, which would lead to the people having eternal life. Jesus also expressed that he accomplished the work that he was sent to do, which led to people knowing the Father. Jesus transitions now in his prayer to his friends, the disciples, the men whom God gave him. Let's read verses 6 through 8 of the passage. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed 
that you sent me. One thing I want us to notice, when we look at verse 1, it indicates that the prayer is made during the last moments of his life. It briefly precedes uh, his prayer in the garden and his brutal death on the cross. One commentator suggests that while praying, Jesus was possibly making his way to the olive grove on the other side of the Kidron Valley after they finished partaking of the Lord's Supper. The idea is supported by John chapter 18 and verse 1, which says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. We can picture Jesus walking and and praying with God as he's gaining ground and blazing the trail leading to his death. In such a time as this, we find Jesus praying. And he remains focused on others. He mainly emphasizes the Father's glory, which is salvation for mankind, eternal life. Even his requests are not being made about himself, but about others. And as we notice through verses 6 through 8, there are two points. Jesus provides the manifestation of the Father and the message of the Father. He manifested His name, that is, the character of God to mankind. Jesus speaks about His ministry, and He tells the Father that He manifested His name to the men that He gave Him. He does not simply mean that he told them God's name and what it is, but instead that he shared with them God and his plan for the Son of Man. The word manifested or revealed, used in verse 6, shows that Christ took human form to show the Father. Christ begins his relationship with the ones God gave him, his disciples, by showing them and by telling them What the Father is like. The disciples were once in the world, but they were chosen out of the world. And God gave them to Christ. They were owned by the Father, but He entrusted them to the Son so that He could convey the word and the will of the Father to them. And they showed their ownership to the Father by obeying His word. When we think about this manifestation Jesus, as he walked and as he lived on this earth, through who he was, he manifested, letting them know this is what the Father is like. If you want to know what it's like to have a relationship with your heavenly Father, examine me. And you can know how to have a relationship with him. What a friend we have in Jesus because he shares his Father. Have you ever had that friend that shared their dad with you? Perhaps you did not have a dad uh, because he passed away or he was never around. And that friend would share their dad with you. And he would be the dad that you needed for support to teach you how to throw a ball. In essence, Jesus' relationship with the disciples was sharing his father with his friends, showing them what he was like. He showed them the type of father that he had, and he taught them the lessons that came directly from his father. What a loving friend the disciples had in Jesus, who shared his father with those he loved. Number two, the message. 
And he shared the message, the words of God and the words that God gave Christ to speak. It is only right that Jesus' ministry, which is described as originating with the Father, was filled with him sharing the words of his Father with his disciples. Jesus spoke the words of the Father through his instructions, his plans, and the matters that would come to pass. The disciples believed that the words Jesus spoke were the ones coming directly from the Father's mouth. They accepted his words and believed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Unlike those who believed him to be either demon-possessed or a false teacher, the disciples truly believed this is the Son of God and the words that he speaks are the words of the Father. Jesus helped them to believe that he was sent by the Father to do the Father's will. While their faith was sometimes shaken and their response was not always the best, he still, they still had a belief strong enough to accept Christ and all his revelations and teachings. All of this demonstrated they belonged to God because they accepted both him and his son. What a friend we have in Jesus because he guides us to believe. Have you ever had that friend that said something like, I'll never steer you wrong, and then they do? Like, we we won't get in any trouble. Don't worry about it. No one wants a friend that hinders them instead of helps them. Jesus here is helping his disciples come to know and believe in the Father's message. Could you imagine with me having a friend that leads you to the Father, gets you closer to the Father than you've ever been, helps you build a relationship with your heavenly Father. That's an amazing friend. Jesus is an amazing friend that helps guide us to believe in the Father. Major point number two. We see that Jesus provides. Jesus prays. Number two. He prays personally for his friends. Verses 9 through 11. Read these with me. Verses 9 through 11. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on the behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. In verses 6 through 8, we see Jesus as a friend that shares his father with his friends and who leads them to believe the truth. He is the type of friend that cares for his friends enough to share with them all that he has, which is both his father and his words. We see in these verses that he prays on their behalf. Three points. Jesus prays on his disciples' behalf. He prays for the believing, and he prays for their burden. I'll give them to you once more. Jesus prays on the disciples' behalf. He prays for the believing, and he prays for their burden. 
In verses 9 through 11, Jesus intensifies and explains that his narrow focus is about the disciples, his friends, and not about the world. The phrase, I ask on their behalf, is seen as Jesus interceding on behalf of his disciples. Let's look at this idea of intercession. In the Old Testament, intercession would have come from this idea of a mediator. The role of the priest was to be a mediator between God and his people. Once a year, the high priest would enter the most holy place and make atonement both for himself and for the people. And this paints a concept of the idea of intercession, which means advocacy on behalf of the people. And Christ, who had no sin, did not need to make the continual sacrifice for himself but or for the people, but rather he made the one-time sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice of giving up his life. And because of that sacrifice, he is able to save completely those who have come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them, according to Hebrews 7 and verse 25. And even after his death, because he is at the right hand of the Father, he is still able to be an advocate, one who intercedes on our behalf for us and pleads on our behalf to the Father. In our context, in chapter 17, which this chapter is referred to as Christ's high priestly prayer, it acknowledges Jesus as the mediator for his disciples. He is seen protecting them so that none of them be lost except the one doomed for destruction as the scriptures uh, in order for them to be fulfilled according to John 17 and verse 12. And in this chapter, it is also seen that his intercession on uh, their behalf will continue as he mediates for them. Uh, when he is glorified in his ascension. In this verse, Jesus is interceding to the Father, asking on their behalf. And as we will see, uh, that he later knows that while they're in the world, they'll need help. And so he's going to give them that help. We see that he prays on their behalf. He prays for the believing. While Jesus was praying for Specifically for his disciples, he emphasizes that he was not praying for those in the world. He is making it clear that he's not asking on behalf of those that are of the world that rejected him and and didn't believe in him. But instead, the ones that you've given me, the believing ones, the disciples that believed in my words. The world rejected Christ and his revelations and they didn't accept the truth, but his disciples did. His disciples accepted that he was indeed the Christ. And these men were no longer of the world, but belonged to the Heavenly Father. We find that the twelve, or more likely the eleven, based on what uh, goes on to say in the chapter about Judas Iscariot, he's saying that those who are given of God and those that have accepted Christ as their Savior are the ones in Jesus' mind in this passage that he wants to talk to God about. So he prays on their behalf. He prays for the believing, his disciples that believed. And he prays for the burden. Before he makes his petition, he makes this general statement. That all, everything that has been given to the Son belongs to the Father. And that all that belongs to the Father has been given to the Son. With reference to the disciples, he says, And glory has come to me through them. While not mentioned in his ministry, Jesus is saying that the disciples brought him glory. Based on the context, the life of the disciples, we can conclude how they brought him glory. It would have been through believing in him and carrying out the commission that they were given. 
In verse 11, Jesus is no doubt focusing on his upcoming departure when he says, I am no longer in the world. We can feel the burden of this passage. As Jesus knows he's going to leave them, he's going to leave them alone. And as we've stated from the context in chapter 16, he's like, I'm giving you peace because you're going to be without me when he leaves. And there is no doubt a great burden pressing on Jesus' heart. He has spent time preparing them, but he cannot help but be concerned about what lies in store for them. After his death and resurrection, Jesus would be gone and the disciples would remain in this world. This reality led to Christ's petition to the Holy Father to keep them in your name. Or as the NIV says, protect them by the power of your name. His name standing for the person God, meaning that Jesus was asking the Father to protect them by his power from, as we will see, the evil one. God, protect them from the evil one. Keep them safe. Jesus desired for his disciples to be one with the Father as he was one. And based on what will transpire, the disciples needed to be following in the path of unity after his death. Because after all of this dispersion, after they would leave Christ, they need to be unified. They need to be one. Focused on the one mission. So the disciples needed to follow that pattern. Jesus desires them to be one so that through them the world would see and believe that God sent the Savior to redeem mankind. As one commentator put it, unity among disciples is unity for the sake of the mission. Jesus desired for them to have unity. He prayed for them. He was concerned for them. What a friend we have in Jesus. Because he intercedes on our behalf. Could you imagine how the disciples felt knowing their master and teacher and savior prayed for them personally? As Christians, we know that he also intercedes on our behalf. When we get on our knees and we cry to the heavenly father, we cry through to the son who intercedes on our behalf. When we get on our knees and we're in tears and and life is falling apart, he intercedes on our behalf. Like a gentle and tender friend, he takes our cares and our burdens and he lifts them and it's gently whispering them into the Father's ear. Jet's got some struggles, Father. He needs your help. Brother Carl's got some struggles. He needs some help. He's whispering to the Father. Our needs our cares, our burdens. What an amazing friend we have that lifts our name to the Father. He mentions your name. What a special relationship. He cares about our worldly struggles and He lifts them up to the Father. He cares. Why? Because He was on this earth. He lived as a human. He knows the struggles. He was tempted in all manner as we were, yet without sin. He knows the burden of humanity. So he intercedes for us. What a friend we have in Jesus. Major point number three. He protects. He protects. He protects his friends by his presence. And the last verse we're going to read for the lesson this morning. Verse 12. Verse 12. While I was with them, 
I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. In verses 9 through 11, we see that Jesus is the type of friend that cares about his friend's burdens and struggles to the point that he petitions on their behalf to the Father. Now we see that his presence keeps from the evil one. Two points. His presence keeps from the evil one, and his presence guards us from eternal destruction. As Jesus continues in verse 12, he says, While I was with them, referring to the time he spent with the disciples over the course of his ministry, he then says, I was keeping them in your name. The phrase is in the imperfect tense, and it means he continued to keep. Through his presence and through his revealing the revelation of the words of the Father, Jesus kept them from turning aside. He kept them in the name of the Father so that none turned except the one doomed to destruction. What a friend we have in Jesus because he helps us from turning away from the Father. Through the life example and divine message of Jesus, He was able to keep the disciples in a close relationship with God, helping them to not be led astray. Imagine a friend that helps you keep your relationship with God. Jesus is a friend that prioritizes our relationship with God so they will not turn to the devil. Do we have a friend like that? Can you think of a friend that will keep you from turning away from the church? That will keep you in the pew. That will keep you in the presence and abiding with God and the Savior. Do we have that kind of friend? His presence guards us from eternal destruction. In the second part of verse 12, Jesus says that he guarded, watched over his disciples to keep them from perishing. But what does he mean by perish? To answer this, we must evaluate context. In the remaining part of the verse, Jesus refers that only one perishes. That is the son of perdition. This is a reference to Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve who would betray the son of man. The word perdition or destruction used in the New Testament in reference to a human being always denotes eternal destruction. And if we go back and look at the word perished, it carries the sense of no longer being in one's possession. The idea here is that Jesus has kept his disciples, the true believers, from destruction or being no longer possessed by him. Going back to our question, Jesus is saying that he kept his disciples from experiencing eternal destruction by guarding them. Picture Jesus going to the front of a line with a shield and a sword. He's guarding, he's protecting, I'm ready. Come at me, devil, I've I've got this. I'm going to protect them. He guards. What a friend we have in Jesus. Because he keeps his friends from following the evil one and his destructive path. During our time in this life, temptations arise and struggles will hit us like a ton of bricks. But because of Christ, we have someone who keeps us from leaving the Father and the blessings found in him. Not only that, Jesus provides a greater gift than any friend can give. 
that is eternal life. Jesus is the guardian of our souls, the one who keeps us from experiencing eternal destruction as long as we are faithful to him. And this is what ties back to verses 1 through 5. Through his death and resurrection, mankind can have access to eternal life. Jesus always has and always will desire to bring glory to the Father by helping all humanity have a relationship with him. To further tie verse 12 with the chapter, if we look at verse 15, Jesus says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus, as a friend, is a protector from the evil one, the one that held Judas Iscariot captive and keeps many from reaching the throne of God. What a friend we have in Jesus who protects us from the enemy and gives eternal life to those that are his friends. As we've walked through this prayer, this intercession on behalf of the disciples, does it not make you want to have Jesus as your friend? Think about how blessed the disciples were to have spent time and developed a personal relationship with the Savior. To know that He loved them personally and prayed for them. Jesus is a friend that provides, prays, and protects those that are His. Don't you want to be His friend? Do these words sound familiar? What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear? Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, Take it to the Lord in prayer. In His arms He'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find solace there. This morning, will you make Jesus your friend? He so desperately wants to be. He wants to be the center of your life. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. And He cares for you. Better than any human ever could. If you need to have that relationship with Him today, you can do so. Hearing the Word, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of your sins and confessing the sweet name of Jesus and being baptized, having your sins washed away. And what you will gain is an intimate friendship with our Lord and Savior. If you already are a Christian, can I encourage you this morning? Deepen your relationship with your friend. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Make him the most important part of your life. And he will lead you closer to your Heavenly Father than you've ever been. What is your need this morning? I invite you to come as we stand and sing.